0: All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I am one of your hosts, Josh Patterson, and with me today is Marty Frederick. Marty, what is going on?
1: Oh, you know, nothing much. We celebrated my wife's birthday yesterday, and so um, I did my first time smoking meat. Ever.
0: Wait, hold on.
1: Like... (laughs) Because so
0: did you go to a meeting where everybody was smoking or did you smoke meat like food? Like food. Okay, because you said I did my first ever smoking meat. And I was like "Hmm, No, I did my first ever
1: (laughs) time smoking meat. I tried to say it slow because I didn't want you to get perverted on me and be like, Ah. oh you know um, I
0: don't get it, Marty. Can you explain it? I don't understand. (laughs)
1: we we don't know. I won't explain it. Uh, <laughs> we don't have a smoker. Um, okay. It's like sometimes people do, like they have like a like a legitimate like $1,000, you know, vessel to smoke things in and it like does what, you're, what it's supposed to do. And so my wife found this thing online where um, you could use the oven and you, you essentially, you know, use foil and you kind of like make like a smoker in the oven. Um, and so we started at like 10 p.m. on Saturday night in like on like five thirty, yesterday evening took it out of the oven and uh it was really good it did not get like the char on the outside like it's supposed to or they you know, call the bark it didn't really do that and I think it's because I probably didn't do it perfect
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but um it was so good man it was like the flavor was there and like the meat you know when you have like when you have like a steak and it's kind of chewy and like like hard to eat mm-hmm have other steaks that are cooked so well that they're just like as you take a bite it like melts in your mouth almost like it just falls apart that's what it was like man nice. it was like perfect we had cornbread muffins and we had mac and cheese and we had uh, like this broccoli salad that my my wife likes and like all this we celebrated her birthday for her and uh did all these things but it's the first time in a while um that she did not make anything for the meal like zero things my sister made the brown, made the cupcakes in my, actually my seven-year-old. Oh, we had baked beans. My seven-year-old made the baked beans and they were very good. Nice. Um, but then I did literally everything else. And it was like, oh you know, man, it was, it was good. So now I feel like I have this new hobby or at least I want to try to like figure out like how to do meat smoking the right way. But like, it's like more expensive than drumming or podcasting or <laughs> <guitaring>. <laughs> like, cause you have to like, like, the meat that my dad got for her birthday, you know, bless his soul for buying it. It was like 90 bucks. Wow. <laughs> so it was like, and it was like one meal. Well, yeah. We had leftovers, of course, but like $90, man. And with this crazy pandemic going around right now, you, it's hard to find like good cuts of meat. Like Costco is a lot of chicken all the time. And like, so, but here's the cool thing, Josh. It's been a really long time. Since we've been able to do this, um, but we don't have a guest today.
0: That's true. Our guest is the Holy Spirit. So we're now going to sit in silence and the Holy Spirit will speak to us for the next 50 minutes and then we'll come back together.
1: Could could we do something different though? Yeah, could what's we, up? <laughs> could we Could we allow what the Holy Spirit's already been telling us before we came on this episode Ooh. to speak into what we're going to say? Okay. Sweet. Word up. (laughs) Well, so, Josh, a couple days ago, maybe yesterday or the day before, um, you posted an article on your Facebook page. And um, it's an article that's been going around. And uh, it's been kind of shared by a lot of different people. And um, I felt like it was pretty good Mm -hmm. and pretty timely. You know, because right now in our country, there's all sorts of crap happening. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things I really want to talk about um, today. But I think we ought to maybe just start with this article um, that Barna Group put out. Yeah. Um, It says uh, the article's title is Black Lives Matter and Racial Tension in America. And uh, the concept here is... So they're essentially going over all these different numbers and data, um, about black lives matter and racial tension in America, but it's all based around the church. Mm Um, and, uh, you know, I just have to say before, Josh, I want you to kind of like go over some of it first, okay? um, since you posted it. Um, but I just want to say, I have like a love hate relationship with Barnum group. Um, (laughs) okay. (laughs) And the, the love part is the stuff they put in there is good. And like, it's good information. Um, The hate part is I used to work at this place where numbers and data was everything. (laughs) Right. And like, you know, I used to work at a
0: place like that
1: (laughs) (laughs) and numbers and data, just like, to be honest, like it's not everything. And it removes humanity from people when you become a number instead of a human being. Mm-hmm. Um so i i think that like this is and also like statistics and numbers tend to be they 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 don't know they're not they're not always objective they can be subjective you know you ask 10 people and you say oh well 90% of people say this but it's like well wait a minute <laughs> do does 90% of every person say like you know out, out of the 300 million people in the US or the 8 point whatever billion people there on the world did 90% agree like of course not so <laughs> like so I'm giving that, that disclaimer at the beginning before Josh explains some of these, these these data points to say like, hey, this isn't actually everybody, but at the same time, it's a, it's a, what I found to be a terrifying view of the church and the situation going on with race in our country right now. So Josh, give us some info.
0: Yeah, so, well, basically, like, like Marty said, Barna, just for people who don't know, Barna is like a, a Christian research group. Um, it kind of, if I'm, if I remember correctly, they kind of done a lot of work with Pew Research as well, uh, which is another Christian research group. Um, and they, they do all sorts of kind of stuff. Like Barna, how Barna has been, you know, helpful for me in my line of work is they've put out so many really good studies on young people in the church. Like, um, you know, statistics about young people leaving the church, why that is. Basically, you know, all this kind of stuff. But what I really wanted to, why I wanted to, to send this article to Marty um, and, and to talk about it the, the, is because I think, unfortunately, the church is the most segregated place in the country on Sunday mornings. Like, that's pretty much a thing. <laughs> that's really sad, but it's true. And that mm-hmm. sounds shocking and alarmist, but it's not. Like, that's just a thing. It is what it is. And I think a lot of the times, well-intended church people will use Jesus or will use nice Christian language to kind of sweep the, the racial reconciliation talk kind of under the table or, or to push aside some things. And this article really draws it out. So I'm actually, I want to share um, maybe some quotes uh, that I think are really uh, interesting and captivating. And then Marty, if you want to point out some, maybe some of the the numbers that that stood out to you, maybe we can attack it that way. So this from the article, it says, our research confirms the fear that the church or the people in it may be part of the problem in the hard work of racial reconciliation. Uh, says Brooke uh, Hempel. I apologize if I get your name wrong, Brooke, uh, the vice president of research at Barna Group. If you're a white evangelical Republican, you are less likely to think race is a problem, but more likely to think that you are a victim of reverse racism. You are also less convinced that people of color are socially disadvantaged. Yet, these same groups believe the church plays an important role in reconciliation this dilemma demonstrates that those supposedly most equipped for reconciliation do not see the need for it. That kicked me in the teeth. Cause like, what's the, <laughs> the ministry that Jesus gave us and left us the church, the ministry of reconciliation. And, and what this is showing is that the church doesn't even think there needs to be reconciliation right now. We're missing it. Mm-hmm. Um, And then they go on to say, more than any other segment of the population, white evangelical Christians demonstrate a blindness to the struggle of their African-American brothers and sisters. This is a dangerous reality for the modern church. Jesus and his disciples actively sought to affirm and restore the marginalized and obliterate divisions between groups of people. Yet, our churches and ministries are still some of the most ethnically segregated institutions in the country. And finally, by failing to recognize the disadvantages that people of color face and the inherent privileges that come from growing up in a majority culture, we perpetuate the racial divisions, inequalities, and injustices that prevent African-American communities from thriving, Hempnell says. Research has shown that being cognizant of our biases leads to change in bias behavior. If white evangelical Christians genuinely care for the well-being of their African-American brothers and sisters, the first step they must take is being honest about their own biases. History and Jesus's example has shown that reconciliation comes from stepping out of our place of comfort and actively pursuing healing for all of those in need. We must do the same if we really believe that all lives matter. So that pretty much sums it up for me. And there's numbers in there to back it up.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, like you said, yeah, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Well, so here's a few numbers. Um, so one of the first questions they ask in the article um, is racism, a past or present problem. And so here's the percentage of people who agree that racism is mostly a problem of the past. So when, when, when broken down into all adults, Seven percent of people believed that th- racism is mostly a problem of the past, which, you know, the hate, like, that's actually encouraging in some ways, seven percent. But however, when you break those numbers down, it becomes very concerning for the church. Um, and so here's, here's what those numbers are. Thirteen um, percent of evangelicals believe that racism is mostly a problem of the past. Twelve percent of conservative-leaning people believe that racism is mostly a problem of the past. But now, here's where it gets bad. 3% of people that have no faith whatsoever believe racism is mostly a problem of the past. And 4% of liberal-leaning people believe that racism is mostly a problem of the past. So what that says to me, Josh, is (laughs) that Christians, like you just said, are will are interested in sweeping under the rug the concept of racism in the church. And conservative leaning people are are more interested in saying, you know what, racism's not really a thing anymore. You know, let's just move on, you know, you know, make America great again. Let's do whatever we can and just move on from the past. But then there are people who don't have faith. And so as a as an evangelical person, many people would then say, well, these people don't have any hope. They don't have the hope of Jesus. Jesus is not in their life at this point, and so I mean, they have nothing to hope for. Three percent of them say racism is mostly a problem of the, of the past. So they're looking at racism and they're seeing it around them, and they're saying, "Holy crap, this is still going on, and we got to do something about this." And yeah. so, like Christians are saying and now, I, I get it. It's thirteen percent and twelve percent evangelicals, conservative, respectively, that are saying this. It's not ninety percent or something like that, but thirteen percent. That means that in your church. One or so out of every ten people that you come into contact with on a Sunday doesn't believe racism is a thing anymore, <laughs> even watching the news, they're watching the news and they they walk around, they see different things they're out at the store, and they think that racism is just dead and gone. Um, and so now here's where this starts to break down a little bit. If you're discerning race specifically, the next point was racism is mostly a problem of the past not the present or, or not the present <laughs> sorry
0: <laughs> ha! Uh, look at that was that a, a
1: freudian uh, slip <laughs> maybe it could be so it's this is percentage of people who strongly disagree that racism is mostly a problem of the past 39% of white americans think that racism is mostly a problem of the past not the present while 59% of black people believe that race or disagree that racism is not a problem of the, like they think it's okay. Racism is mostly a problem of the past. 59% of black Americans disagree with that number. Um, which was interesting to me, but Josh, the, the last one that I really wanted to share, uh, which I think may segue us into our con- our conversation um, today and just like to the next portion of our conversation, but correct me if you want to go back to something um as you look at the, um, the next, one of the questions in the article, do you support the message of the Black Lives Matter movement? And the percentage who support this message. Um, uh, Josh, I was really bummed out when I, <laughs> when, I, when I saw this, but you know what, it makes a lot of sense. So this is based by generation. And then it also has evangelicals, Democrats and Republicans. 45% of millennials, support the Black Lives Matter movement. 24% of Gen Xers support it. 20% of the boomer generation. 15% of the elder generation support the Black Lives Matter movement. And you know, Josh, that seems to really coincide with where people were living and what age people would have been in certain areas of history um, You know, over the last 100 years. Um, but then, Take this: thirteen percent of evangelicals support the Black Lives Matter movement. Hmm. Now, guys, come on, man! <laughs> like, are you serious? Thirteen percent of us, and so evangelical. I'm not using that as a derogatory term. I'm using that, and I don't think they are in this article either, because no, the word even,
0: Yeah,
1: the word evangelicals really turned derogatory in many ways. But this is people who believe that the message of Jesus is meant to be shared with all people. Like, that's, like, let's just call it that, like, it's a very broad definition of what they mean by evangelical. Only 13% of us believe that the Black Lives, or or only 13% of us support the Black Lives Matter movement. 43% Democrats support the Black Lives Matter movement. 7% of Republicans support Mm -hmm. the Black Lives Matter movement. So I guess my question is, when did race become a political thing? (laughs) But <laughs> there's a question when, when did race become if you're on the left you support matters of race and you're on the right so only only seven percent of you are allowed to support matters of race if you are if you're a republican you don't support matters of race and you know I, there's just something about that man like i think what bugs me about that is it's that party line thing that we've been talking about. We've talked about before where like, you know, I'm going to vote Republican. On like, you know, when you go to the voting booth and there's the the thing at the top where you can check, you know, vote only Republican. So you don't like, so you, if you're lazy, like you don't have to do all, you don't have to go through and check everybody. But also if you just vote Republican, no matter what, no matter what, it, like you're a Christian. So I'm going to vote Republican. And that's all stemmed around one issue. You know it's all stemmed around the issue of abortion, and like, hey, I'm just gonna be honest, I don't support abortion, like I don't support personally the the killing of babies i I don't however say that you know it's my job to determine what happens in someone else's body, but that's me i like my my personal opinion is I don't support it, but that means what that means is I won't get an abortion <laughs> ever. Like that doesn't mean that like you know if you have different convictions, like that's on you, and I'm like I don't know that that's my role, but like when we say we're gonna vote Republican because of that one issue, guys, we also miss the concept of like there's a lot of other things that I think we miss in that, um but just think about that for a little bit. What's going on here where the older you are, the less willing you are to support the concept of black lives matter. And if you're a Republican, you're way less likely to be supportive of black lives matter than you are if you're a Democrat. And, uh, I don't, I don't really know what that's about. So I have, I
0: have a, a a suspicion, Marty, I think. And first off I'll throw this out there. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat or a libertarian for that matter. Mm -hmm. I'm a registered unaffiliated, um, (laughs) so i can talk crap about everybody i guess i don't know um but i think you can anyway yeah that's (laughs) true that's true so i think i think the the age thing is i mean i think the age thing is obvious um like so racism isn't just about skin color that's like a signifier of racism but racism like our buddy drew hart was telling us is a social construct the whiteness is an ideology and blackness is an ideology. And then it just happens to be that some people have white skin and some people have black skin. And then those ideologies are applied to those people groups. That's what racism is. So it's this, this system of social hierarchy that our country is built on. It is baked into the foundation of America and is baked into the foundation of our theologies, of our church polity, of our liturgy, of our hymns it's all it's baked in and so basically though over time as things like the civil rights movement and all these kind of things have come out and progressed people are finally coming around some people to the idea that wait a minute black people are humans too but older generations were not taught that the the systems that they grew up in are so inherently racist more so than ours are right now or maybe it's the same system just people are waking up to it we our systems are still people keep saying the system is broken i don't think the system is broken the system is giving us the results it was created to to do the system is working how it was designed to it's a white supremacist system (laughs) that's the problem and so the older generations it just makes sense to me because like dude segregation was not that long ago like i have somebody in my church he's he's one of the leaders in the student ministry we call him papa hops he marched back in the 60s and he is marching again today and speaking at rallies he was like Mm -hmm. i never thought that i would have to do that again Mm -hmm. so it wasn't that long ago these generations grew up in and around this like my uh you know people probably can say like our grandparents or our great grandparents, um, you know, seem to be more racist. <laughs> I know yeah. that's just like, it's a thing. And I think what's nice, what I, what I, what is a hopeful thing with this graph is it's showing that the younger generations are becoming more and more aware of and less tolerant of yeah. these kinds of systematic oppression and racism that is in our country. Um, and that's awesome, like I'm so hopeful that my students, who are Gen Zers, um, that their percentage hopefully is even higher than millennials when it comes to dealing with 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 issues like this, of racial reconciliation. Um, but so I think I think it's the system. it's the water we swim in it's you know, and people don't like fish in water don't know they're in water <laughs> until they're told, and then they're like, "Oh, holy shit." Yeah. Um, and that it's the same thing with us. It's the same thing with, with, with people and with our systems. Um, and so we're swimming in a system that is predicated on white supremacy and is predicated on racial hierarchy, where whiteness is a positive ideal and blackness is a negative. Yeah. And then also too, I think something important to point out is that racism today doesn't look as outright in every situation, right? Uh, there's, so really there's, and I learned this recently. So um, if I get this wrong, listener, and you hear me, please correct me. Uh, but basically there's um, two kinds of, of racism, really two, two streams of it, if you will. One is segregationist and one is um, assimilationist. And so a segregationist racism is specifically about the, they would say that black people or people of color are biologically inferior to white people. So that's a segregationist approach. Assimilationist approach says that um, black people or people of color are morally and behaviorally inferior to white people. And so that one the assimilationist approach is more subtle, but basically the idea is that, oh, if only black people, if only people of color would uh, act and behave as we white people do, if only you would get your stuff together and, you know, assimilate into our culture, become like one of us, you know, become white, basically. (laughs) This ideology of whiteness. Yeah, exactly. This, 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 ideology of whiteness, if only you could, you could come and meet this, Mm -hmm. then, then, you know, you would be good. So it's, it's, it's more hidden. It's more covert. Is that the right word? Yeah. I'm I'm bad at the English language. Um, So I think those things factor into this. Absolutely.
1: Well, and I think there's also one, one other way, I think that, um, and believe it or not, unfortunately, this still exists today uh there are people that still I, I i don't know what the numbers are um but uh there's this movement uh called scientific racism where sort sort of along the lines of biologically as you were just speaking about but they there are people actually legitimately believe that the based on the color of your skin you are you have a lower threshold of what your IQ is capable of attaining so the darker your skin the lower the absolute highest IQ you could have is possible if that makes sense mm-hmm. so like you know if we're talking numbers if you're if you're the darkest of the dark skin that's out there you are only capable of attaining an IQ of 100 but then as your skin gets lighter you are capable of attaining a higher IQ number and there are people out there, and, and if you if you if you Google scientific racism, you'll find a Wikipedia article and realize Wikipedia. Everyone's like, "Oh, you can't use Wikipedia," but there's plenty of other sources inside there you can click to that are actual sources um, instead of just Wikipedia. So, like by the way, Wikipedia is getting better than it was when I was in high <laughs> school. Like, right? You weren't allowed to use it as a source when I was in college, but you can just go there and then find the source and then go to that source and use that. Um, but I I think it was as soon as 2000 or 2002, there was an article written in a scholarly journal in which somebody tried to prove this point. And and this is the same, these are the same ideals that were used in America in the early 1900s, and then they were cast aside as, no, these these are not reality. And then Hitler picked them up as his justification against genocide of the jews okay Mm -hmm. so like when we when we have people walking around now in our societies believing this this garbage what people don't realize is this is the same thing and so i not not to get off track but there's a um i believe it's called alt-right there's a documentary on netflix called alt-right or something like that and they actually have some of these people on the show Uh, on the documentary, and I can't remember if it was both of the extreme racists that were on the show or if it was just one of them, but when given the choice between segregationism and genocide, one of them said they would choose genocide if they had the choice, so allow that to sink in. This is 2020, and there are people that still feel feel and think that way um, walking around in our country, but as Josh, you said, racism is a lot more generally covert than that, like there's not people walking around posting that kind of stuff on Facebook, getting all into it. And they're not, they're not generally socializing in your circles. Okay. Like these people are not out there. Your best buddy, you know, is verbalizing those kinds of things on a regular basis. Okay. Like this, That I realize that's not happening as often as some people might want to say, but here's what it, here's what is it is happening. When we've been, when people have been posting things about George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Michael Brown, and any other of the other, Trayvon Martin, any of the other countless names of African-Americans that have been killed by police officers. And we're, we're trying to fight this battle of Black Lives Matter, and everyone is joining in on this battle. Here's what racism looks like now. Racism looks like so, your friend that goes to find an article or a story about a Black man who murdered somebody in cold blood, and they post that. And they say, "Hey, look at this." You know, see, or or in one of the in one of these one of these rioting situations that have been going on around our country, finding an article where there's a police officer that got killed, and so posting that and saying, "Oh, well, look at this." You know, so you know you're saying that you know George Floyd should have been killed. Well, neither should have this person. And you know what? That's true. <laughs> that police officer shouldn't have been killed. Josh and I have a mutual friend that's a police officer. If he got killed in any of these things, I'd be devastated. And I know Josh would be about tenfold as devastated (laughs) in that. And yet, you know what, like, when people go out there and they look for ways and means to disprove your point by doing the opposite, in this case, it happens to be a, a black man was killed by a police officer and should not have been killed by that police officer. And then now, all of a sudden, it is, oh, wait a minute well, what about this white officer that was killed by this black person? What about what about these people? Like, there was this, like, you know, a couple of years ago, there was this Australian white lady in, in Minneapolis that got killed by somebody. And everyone made this, you know, everyone, no one's made, no one made a big, no one rioted over her death. Okay, like, yeah, but listen, like, that's not the battle we're fighting in this, okay? And like, I think when people are looking for the opposite to disprove these types of things, what winds up happening is, like, even though it doesn't look like racism, to me, their racism starts to show a little bit in that. Their their feelings of, you know what, we're going to try and disprove the concept of Black Lives Matter by showing that there are Black people that kill people. Okay, <laughs> Yeah, there are. And there will always be. And there will always be white people that kill people. And there will always be Asians that kill people. And, like, it's going to happen for the rest of our life because we live in a broken world. But by, dis- by trying to disprove the concept of Black Lives Matter by pulling up, you know, some article or some, you know, press briefing or some, you know, mugshot of this black kid that shot somebody. Or saying, oh, well, what about black on black crime? You know, or what about this, or what about that? And looking anytime someone says, "Oh, we're well, really well," what about get ready for their covert racism <laughs> to come out and what they have to say? And I—that's a blanket statement. Um, I get it. Um, and Josh, I know you have stuff that you will want to say too, but here's something that I wanted to share um, on this topic, uh, just of racism in general. Um, a good friend shared this on Facebook. It's a scale. Uh, racism scale where do you fall and the scale goes from terrorism to denial so terrorism on the far left denial on the far right so as we were talking about reading in the barnum group denial slavery ended 200 years ago racism no longer exists i don't see color those are the denial aspects and then some of the other ones justification Well, we had a black president, therefore black people are not oppressed. I have black friends. If he, they had just dot, dot, dot. Usually what they're trying to say is if they just wouldn't have resisted arrest, if they just would dress differently, you know, and then in between there's, well, what about reverse racism? Then you get into defensive, calling the police because black folks make you uncomfortable. I just don't like quote unquote ghetto. Defensive. It's just a joke. But black on black crime, exclamation mark. Indifference. How am I privileged if I am poor? That has nothing to do with me. That is their problem, not mine. Now, as you as you as we're getting down this scale towards the terrorism aspect, we're the feelings of white guilt that we have can lead to these things further and further. So here's subconscious racism. Funny blackface. Thugs. I'm not racist, but dot, dot, dot. The way things are is God's will. That one especially aggravates me. Blacks are naturally more violent or less intelligent. You see what we're getting to, guys? Overt racism. Whites are under attack and will be minorities soon. Blacks should be sent back to Africa. Whites are the superior race. Guys, we're not even at the bottom yet. I inflict fear upon black people, quote, as a joke. Now here's the terrorism. Violent blackface depict hangings, etc. I inflict fear upon black people on purpose. I would, or have killed a black person simply for being black. Now, chances are, you probably don't know somebody that falls into those bottom three or four. You probably don't, and you might. And if you do, you know someone that falls into those last four or whatever, it's probably a lot harder to say to that person, hey dude, man, that's not okay. Because their fear inducing that they do also puts you in a state of fear. And so I understand that they're, you know, being afraid of your own life being lost is, you know, something that people fall into. But you know what? When someone says to you, racism no longer exists, realize that they, that that quote or that statement falls on the same graph and scale that I'm looking at that has, I would have killed a black person simply for being black. It's it's on the same scale. It's not anywhere near as quote unquote Bad is killing somebody when you say, "I don't see color." But what you don't realize is you're missing it. Um, so, the last thing I'll say about this is it, it: those feelings of white guilt can compound into many of these behaviors. When we are in, now, this goes from white savior to abolitionist. Whites were slaves too. There are plenty of successful people of color, they just need to work harder. If we can't use the N word, they shouldn't either. There's no need for people of color to have their own safe spaces, we are all one. There's only one race, the human race. Love conquers our, love conquers all, sorry. I will help you, but only if I lead. If they want our help, they should be nicer slash more respectful. Being involved in this will help my reputation. I expect praise and or publicity. My experience as a white person is drastically different than that of a person of color. Yes, my life as a poor white person has been hard, but it isn't as hard as if I were, and if I were poor and a person of color. Systemic racism is very real and needs to be ended. I will make space for people of color. I will put my safety, health and freedom on the line to fight for people of color. I will let them lead and not try to be at the center. So I hope you, I hope what you guys realize is, is that as we are in this place where we feel this white guilt, and you know, if we are in the place where we say, if the worst possible thing, I mean, based on this scale, I guess, the worst possible thing that you have ever said, that's racist. Is slavery ended 200 years ago, and like so, you know, racism isn't a thing anymore. You're a lot closer to being able to say, "I will put my safety, health, and freedom on the line to fight for people of color," than somebody who says they inflict fear upon black people on purpose. Like you're a lot closer to being able to get to that abolitionist place. But here's the thing: we should all be working towards the abolitionist place. And we should all be working towards even just getting to awareness, which awareness, by the way, was my experience as a white person is drastically different than that of a person of color. And to be honest, if you ask me, I think that's what a lot of people are asking for right now. I think a lot of people are asking for us as white Americans and white people in general across the world to be aware of the fact that this is different for a black person. This is different for a person of color. They don't, they just don't live the same types of lives as we live. You guys heard it last week or a couple weeks ago when Ronnie said, pet or threat. He feels when he's somewhere or anywhere at all, he feels like he's a pet or a threat. And you guys heard Keith say, when he's walking around the grocery store, he has to remember to smile at people. He has to remember to look people in the eye and smile and give them, or and, and dress nicely so that he isn't seen as a threat to somebody or someone doesn't worry about him. I have a friend who uh, recently broke his foot and uh, he's he's had to go to the grocery store, but on crutches. And so one of the things he has had to do is he can't push a cart is he takes a backpack to the store and he puts all of his groceries in the backpack and then he brings them to the front of the store and pays for them. Yeah, you guessed it. He's a white person. Now imagine if a black person tried doing that. Do you think if you saw a black person putting groceries into a backpack as they're walking around the store on crutches, do you think that she would immediately assume this person is doing it because they, they can't push a cart? They have, gro- they have crutches, they, like they need to get groceries and they're doing whatever they can. Or would you think something different? And I think that tells you where you'll fall on that scale. You know, if you, if you would think like, oh my gosh, like this person broke their foot, maybe I should get a cart And help them push their groceries or see or ask them if they need help. Or would you be like, what the heck's that person doing? They're putting groceries in their backpack. Like, are they going to steal those? So you get the point. I guess you get what I'm trying to say. It's like, we have to get to this place of at least, at least awareness. At least, I mean, to me, like, awareness is the lowest common denominator of where we all need to be. Everybody needs to get on board of this place and say, this is different for a Black person in our world right now and if we aren't at awareness like we've got to do something to get there you got to read a book you gotta you gotta listen to a podcast ours is would be good um you've got to um you got to go out and talk to people if you have black friends on facebook send them a message and talk to them get to know them understand who they are but like you can't stay where you are man or woman um you know figure out what you need to do in order to get yourself to the place of at least awareness and then work from there. So I've talked for a while, Josh, I'm sure you have a lot that you'd like to say.
0: Hmm. Well, I think for, so this, this chart is good and I have it up to, and I think we can, we can address some of the ideas on that chart, but for starters, when you were talking about scientific racism and how they were trying to prove that darker skin, you know, meant stupider or more stupid or dumb, whatever. <laughs> I don't know the right word. <laughs> or stupider. Yeah, more stupider, which apparently <laughs> is me. So there we go. I just proved that the chart is bullshit because I, yeah. yeah. Um, But, you know, it has a lower IQ threshold than someone with lighter skin. That is the exact, that is racial hierarchy. That is mm-hmm. whiteness ideology as good and pure and beautiful and true and blackness as evil and wrong and ugly and bad whatever that's a perfect example of it and it happens in so many ways and so the thing is then then you started talking about not you know maybe we don't know somebody who like is in the kkk or like stands on the corner of the street calling people the n-word or something like that um those those are only like like Drew Hart called those the bad, the bad racists. Like we can point to those people and say, "Oh, they're the racists," and then that what that allows us to do is feel good that at least we don't do that, so we we can't be racist, right? Um, so it's scapegoating. That's not helpful either. And then you talked about how people are 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 throwing all these articles trying to combat the whole Black Lives Matter thing, and how they're like, "Oh, a white person was killed, and and no one would ride over that." That is showing pure ignorance as to what is happening because the riots that are happening right now the protests the the civil rights movement is not about an isolated incident there people aren't rioting right now specifically only because of george floyd that contributes right that kind of helped push things over the top but this is a system this this is for 401 years, however long <laughs> since the first time people set foot on this, this soil and desecrated the land and, and killed Native Americans, racism and, and white supremacy has been going on since the beginning. Mm-hmm. People who are, are trying to point to one other isolated incident to combat this don't understand. You are not seeing the whole picture this this isn't about isolated occurrences this is about a larger system of oppression that continues to operate and and people you need to open up your eyes and see that you need to educate yourself and see that this is what's happening especially white people because white people we get like i i've been reading books about like white guilt and white fragility and how like white people don't want to talk about this because it makes us feel bad and blah 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 like get over that shit. (laughs) Like if like, we have to, we have to, these systems need to come down. But here's the thing, we can't combat systematic oppression and racism. We can't combat racial hierarchy. If one, we don't know what they are. So we have to educate ourselves. But also we have to open up ourselves to the fact that we've swam in these waters for so long. And that's not necessarily your fault. The system, remember, like I said, the system is operating the way it was created to operate. And we have been socialized to use Drew's language into a culture where white supremacy is normal. It's normalized. And we have to be willing to call that out. You have to be willing to go and see that this is a thing in order to, to make a difference. You can't tear down a system if you, don't, if you don't know what it is, if you don't understand. And so we have to move, or move away from this is just about white person's skin color or a black people's skin color and we have to move away from this is about one isolated event it's not like mm-hmm. that is a failure a misunderstanding uh, a, a straw man a you know mischaracterization a, a clothes, gaslighting gaslighting absolutely it's all these things so we have to break free from that um oh goodness um i'm trying to 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 continue in in the the thought pattern so da da Yeah, I um, gave you
1: a lot to follow. (laughs) No,
0: you did. It's all good. It's all good. Um, Because it's all very helpful. But I think, um, yeah, and like, then like, what you were saying about awareness being the bare minimum, I think that's so true. Like, that's the least you can do, honestly. But here's the thing, I think people are becoming like, people are aware. Yeah, people are choosing not to press into that awareness, because it's uncomfortable, and it's painful. And like, a, a, a big part of that, too, is like this this white savior thing, like white people, we need to learn to shut up and listen. we 're not the saviors of the world, but again, that 's what we have been taught that is white supremacy, that is systematic oppression, that is the the, the racial hierarchies that 's what these things are like this is This is completely off base, but this is one qualm I have with with the church as far as missionary efforts go now i 'm not saying this is all missionaries or all missionary organizations. However, if you go and look at the work that the church is doing in different countries, they're, they, <laughs> it's colonialism. They're going into African countries, ma- turning them Christian, but it's not about introducing the gospel to them. It's about making them white. White supremacy is at work in the church still. It happens all the time. I have organizations that are well-known that I could ramble off right now But like, I don't know that that's the most helpful thing in the world. Um, But like, that's why you go and you see these African villages that they're told they're not allowed to have their African name anymore. They they their church services sound like white people. They do white liturgy. They they're shaped by white theologians. Their culture is stripped from them in the name of the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel includes all people from all nations, all cultures, and their cultures matter so this is again another it's a problem there's socialization it's it's exactly socialization it's it's bullshit is what it is and the church it continues to be complicit in it the white savior complex has to be broken down because here's the truth jesus is not a white savior (laughs) jesus was not a white dude and if that if you don't know that then like holy crap and also here's another thing the people in the Bible weren't white either. And the people who wrote the Bible <laughs> are not white. And the people that read the Bible first expounded the Bible. If you go back to our church fathers and stuff, they're not white people. Like, good Lord, man. I'm just, it's insane to me. We, we need to, to, to shut this shit down. And like, I'm tired of the fact that the church is complicit in these systems of racism and continues to perpetuate it by saying stupid things like all lives matter. Of course, of course, all life matters, right? But saying black lives matter doesn't negate that. (laughs) But, but the reverse is true. When someone says black lives matter and you counter it with all lives matter, you're negating that statement. And you're saying, oh no, I'm including them in the larger picture. But that, again, that is assimilationist rhetoric. You are saying Black Lives Matter when they fit into my system, when they listen to the way that I say so. That's what is happening. It is assimilationist rhetoric that is dressed to sound nice and beautiful and pretty, all lives matter, but it's not helpful. Like, if you're a person who says all lives matter, answer this question for me, true or false, Black Lives Matter true or false and if you say false where you can't say that black lives matter because you're so compelled to say white lives matter then you have work to do big time and i don't know i'm i'm just rambling about stuff marty really no, that's it's okay just me being angry
1: well uh, here's here's a meme i came across a couple days ago um i don't I, I don't know who the guy is in the meme because uh, it, it's like a newscaster and he kind of has that surprised look on his face and i don't know who he is um, but it says, "Black people, Black lives matter. White people, all lives matter. Refugees and illegal immigrants, so we can stay." And then white people, they're looking surprised, like, "Oh, what?" what? <laughs> and and I think that, like, I think that honestly, for some reason, I and I, I don't want to call this all Christians because I'll be honest with you, Josh. I I attend an amazing church with an amazing pastor. Um, and amazing pastors at that church Um, and every one of them would would definitely affirm the concept black lives matter and they would not sit here saying well no all lives matter I mean like obviously like sort of like you said of course all lives do matter but they would say black lives matter in this moment and but I I think what we run into as Christians is is we want to say all lives matter because for I think there's a part of us. There's a couple things. Some of us maybe racism is just a thing. Like we are just we are entrenched in it personally, or you know, we grew up in a home. We had a parent or a grandparent, you know, or a a sibling or an aunt or an uncle or some or somebody who said racist things, did racist things, both all the above, or they just had racist bents on occasion. You know, like my pastor said yesterday on Sunday, I could take. A black toddler, a white toddler, and a Hispanic toddler, and put them down in a room with toys, and they'll have a blast, so like they'll play with each other, and the color of the skin won't make a difference it's the idea is that these things are taught like we we wind up being taught racism, we wind up being you know whether it be the school we go to, and this is nineteen middle of nineteen sixties and you live in Mississippi and you go to an all white school. And you didn't really care much one way or the other about black people. But then there's now this big push that schools should be integrated together. And black people should go to school with white people. And, you know, you're kind of one of those people, you don't say anything outlandish. Like you're not the kind of person that's like, what? That's ridiculous. Or, yes, they should go to school. You just don't really say anything. But then you start to hear these people around you they start to say stuff like, what the heck, you know, I can't believe these black people want to go to school with us. And that might be the tame thing that they say. Um, You know, that might be the thing that they say because the teacher's listening or, or something like that, or they're, they're at Sunday school, you know, like, and so they don't want their pastor to to hear them swearing, you know, or something like that. But they say a lot of other stuff when they're, when you're out in the playground. Um, And uh, you know, in this, you know, before you know it, you go home and those things are internalized into you and, and now it's 2020. And you're in your 60s, you're in your 70s, you're in your 80s. And although you never really thought about it, you but you don't realize the fact that that's been something that you've internalized for a long time. And I'm not saying you're combative. I'm not saying you're angry. I'm not saying you're out to kill black people, and you'd prefer genocide over segregation or anything like that. I'm saying that you know, if that's the concept that's in your mind because you heard other people say it, it's something that's taught to you. It's something that you didn't have in you. And I would argue that from like just from a all lives matter standpoint, when when you were a child, all lives mattered to you because there wasn't a th- there wasn't this concept that there was supposed to be differences based on the color of your skin, or whether you were a man or a woman, which keep in mind, guys, like we're not even like, we're not even talking about the difference between men and women right now at all. And it's 2020 and that still is a problem in our culture as well. And there are many men in the Christian church that will tell you that like, there are some people that will say it's not a problem, but there are people that are just, they're bold facedly saying out loud, women should not do anything in church. I mean, we talked about this a few months ago, okay? (laughs) Like, you know, like there are leaders of the white Christian church that will say women should not be involved in anything. And so like, we're not even talking about that. Like, that's a problem that is happening all the time. And like, that still is happening. And like, white women were given the opportunity to vote in the early 1900s. And then 50 years later, black Americans we're like, okay, well, you know, maybe we'd like to vote too, <laughs> and like, but do you realize, like, we're like, we're fighting both of these battles in our country, but like, you like, misogyny isn't necessarily a problem that people are, you know, going out and you know, rioting over right now, and right now, so like, we don't say that problem doesn't matter, like that's not what we're saying, you know, when you know, when there's people that are going off to war and they're fighting and someone gets shot and you grab that person and you try to pull them to safety. You don't have people yelling at you like, dude, come on. Like all of us matter. Just leave that guy alone. Of course not. You're like, no, we need to take care of this person. And this person is shot. We can save this one person. We can do it. We can take care of them. And you don't care about anything about that person, except for the fact that they need help and they need people to speak for them. And they need people to stand up and say, it's not right to leave this person. Now, Josh we can also get into the concept of, like we were talking before the episode um, there's a lot of these things going around um on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and wherever your whatever social media i've been I've been told by my younger sisters uh, my sister one of my sisters just graduated high school that Facebook is just for old people um, but like I like Instagram, I like Twitter, but like Facebook to me is like i don't know facebook to me I, it's just something maybe because I was one of the first people that used Facebook. Yeah. I'm, I'm 35. Okay. So I'm not that old, but um, like there's these things going around on Facebook where people will share something like a biblical story that they'll then add a black lives matter bent to. And um, Josh and I toyed with the idea of like sharing just one of these ideas and kind of like saying oh well that's the one that's the one we want to talk about but we realize that there's like there's like people like unfortunately in 2020 people will find anything to be upset about in like anything to call you out so like um josh do you want to do you want to share one of those stories and i'll share another one afterwards
0: um sure let me um address something though i think you just said that's that's important to to notice though like cause you brought up the women thing. And so like racism is, is, is super deep and there's there, it's very multifaceted. And here, here's another example of it. There's this thing called gendered racism where there's gender stereotypes and racist stereotypes that are then applied to a situation. So to go to your point, a like misogynistic understanding of a woman is like like a frail, humble, like quiet white woman, right? Stay at home mom. That's like this thing, which is already problematic in and of itself.
1: Wearing an apron, by the way.
0: Right. Which then, then there, there's this stereotype of a, you know, like the strong, independent black woman. And people get so mad about that because they're in their mind, a woman is this quiet white lady who stays at home and cooks food in the kitchen with her apron on. So that's a multifaceted level issue that people bring up. This is why people got mad at like Michelle Obama and they would say hateful stuff. That's a perfect example. Or like, it's crazy. It's, it's insane. This is so deep and that's only one, one, one small like portion there. Racism is insane the the system is ginormous it is massive and actually what it is is it's demonic it's mm-hmm. it's evil however yeah. you want to take those words it's it's darkness it's not good <laughs> whatever language you want
1: um can i just read something about that really quick go um, for it so i i remember a while ago sorry i know that you wanted it, you had more to say but like you said you said something very specific and i wanted to um i wanted to mention something about that specifically. Um, I've posted things, um, about Bill Johnson before. And, uh, I know that our listeners were like, what do you mean Bill Johnson? Wait, Bill Johnson, we, you know, isn't he, isn't he a heretic? Isn't he, isn't he somebody that, you know, like he's all about, you know, making money and he's all about this and that, and, you know, all these different things. And yet, Bill Johnson posted something on his Instagram, which now I'm failing to find. <laughs> um, but essentially what he said was, racism is evil. It's demonic to its core. And this is someone that many of us, you know, quote unquote, woke Christians will point out and say Bill Johnson is is racist, you know, or, or I'm sorry, Bill Johnson is uh, is a heretic or or something like that. And yet, Bill Johnson is the kind of person these are, this is so like, this is everybody. Everybody is feeling this way. I want to make sure that we hear that. Like everybody is against the concept that racism is a good idea. Like it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who the, like, so if you're sitting out there and you're thinking to yourself, like, oh, like maybe racism is like, maybe it's not as bad as we think. No, you need to get on the train, man. Like you got to get on board. And this is not pressure, this is not peer pressure, this is not, well, I'm not ready. Don't force me into something. No, it's like it's not like that. Like, racism is pure evil. Like it is, it is it is an oper it, it is the it is Satan himself operating in such a way in this world where the goal is to is to literally make creations of the Lord look different and feel different and and all of a sudden now like because like we Satan wants us to see this as like a either to either for some people it's a this doesn't exist problem, or for some people it's a those people have to be taken out, out of here. Like we need to get them out of here. So I'm sorry I interrupted. I couldn't find the the actual quote. But essentially what it is is racism is evil, it is demonic to its core, like you had like you had said, Josh. So continue with that.
0: Yeah, that I just think that. It needs to be pointed out and called out for sure. It is it is evil. And also it's a systemic issue, just like empire, things that I've talked about before. That like I don't know. It's there it's just insane to me. It's 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 straight up pure evil. And like, here's the truth of the matter: choosing not to acknowledge it is being complicit in the systems not speaking out against it is being complicit in the system. And like, here's the thing. It it doesn't feel good to have to say, as the white people I'm talking to, to you, um, it doesn't feel good to say, I have benefited from systems in this, this country. It It doesn't feel good to have to say, I have white privilege. It doesn't feel good to have to say, I am complicit in systems of racism. It doesn't feel good to have to say, chances are i have family members who own slaves none of that stuff feels good but until we identify the truth of a situation we cannot move forward Mm -hmm. and so our complicitness in this this issue has to stop it is not it is not enough to say i am not a racist like get out of here the truth is all of us have prejudice all of us do and it's 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 like Marty was saying, it's something that we develop over time. Um, And so, but, and it's almost inevitable. I mean, it it almost is. And so that, that's, I mean, that sucks, but the, it's more so about what do you do with that? Acknowledging where you are prejudiced, calling those things out and correcting those things in your, your mind is important. And it's, and it's, it has to start with relationship, man. Like, Marty you you were you know reminded me of this when you were speaking earlier but our buddy our buddy Drew Hart when he was on here talking with us Drew was saying that a lot of for children things are caught not taught. Yeah. And so we have a lot of really well-meaning people sitting around telling their kids, you know, nice white families, hey, like we treat everybody the same, it doesn't matter what their skin color is, all this kind of stuff. We say nice things. Great. But then but then what is the kid Think about this. How many, how many black families or people that look differently than you have you had over to your house? What kind of school system does your kid go to? How many black families or or families that look differently than you? How many of do you go and hang out with? Do you go into in and hang out at their house? What does your community look like? My wife and I were eating dinner last night. Uh like Maryland has opened up so like you can go to some outdoor restaurants. And we were sitting there, dude. The town that I live in, out of the thousands of people that we saw, we saw one, one, one person of color, one, the entire time. Like, so if my kids grow up in Mount Airy, Maryland, where I live, that's going to be their lived reality. That's not, like, my wife and I are not comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. We, we are trying to get like buy a house now uh, because renting sucks at that. There's a PSA too. If, if all this racism stuff is bugging you out, uh, which hopefully it should be, it should be making you uncomfortable, Um, especially to know that we're all complicit in it. Um, But yeah, anyway, renting sucks. So we're trying to buy a house, but it's, it's, it's becoming more difficult now because we're realizing we don't want our kids to grow up in an environment. That's just, just homogenous and Mm -hmm. it's it's not that we it's because we think white people are bad now or something like that but we can't tell our kids (laughs) that that you know all people are equal and stuff and then just hang out with white people all the time like it's 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 your actions are are portraying something different than what you're saying yeah so i think i think to one one point i want to make um is that a lot of the time when we say this all lives matter stuff and we talk about how, oh, there's, there's just one race and, and, and Jesus died for, for all people and we're a melting pot. The, a, a big problem with that is you're taking away the identity, the, the, the culture of, of who somebody is. Because the truth is, all people are made in the image of God, right? That's true. We can agree on that. But guess what? That means white people are made in the image of God, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, Native Americans, everybody. And so when we try to put that all into one melting pot, we're disparaging the image of God. We are doing something evil to the image of God when we try to compress all that into this this one thing. Instead, rather, can we look at this as a mosaic? Just I'm going to steal Josh McNall's work. He was on our show before. He, he did this for atonement. But the body of Christ as a whole, the, 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 the kingdom of God, it's not, when we go to heaven, everybody's not going to be white. <laughs> Everyone's not going to look the same. Our, our culture matters. Our skin tone matters. These things are beautiful, and, and they make us who we are. And so instead, we need to look at this as a mosaic where we can see that when all of us are together, yes, all of us in the image of God are together, it makes up this beautiful image of the body of Christ. But then if we get closer, we acknowledge, wow, this piece of the mosaic is blue. This this one's green. This this one's yellow. You know, this one's black. This one's purple, whatever. Look how beautiful they are. And those little pieces in and of themselves matter. Mm-hmm. Those, those images are important. And trying to, to, to cover them all up is like, mistaking the forest for the trees or whatever that stupid saying is
1: (laughs) yeah i get you Uh,
0: yeah so that i don't know that i i just i don't know i i'm rambling because i'm more than anything i'm frustrated i'm frustrated how long it's taken me to you know open up and and start to see these kind of things and i still have a lot more learning to do you know and um I think we all do, and 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 conversations to have, and and people to talk to, and to to learn from, and take the posture of of openness. And I'm here, I'm here to learn. I'm here to to you know not try to be savior, not try to lead things all the time. Just you know whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, I I don't know, man. It sucks because like I was talking to Keith recently, and I was like, dude, I I I keep ice, uh, oscillating between a place of like deep sorrow and a place of anger and rage, like back and forth. And like, I'm upset about this. And I've had, like, that's been a short lived experience for me and I already am tired of it. And guess what? Like people like Keith have been doing that for as long as they've been alive.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, and, and if you think about that too, like, you know, we're in this place where if you think about, and I found that quote from Bill Johnson, and so I'm going to read it even though it's going to disparage those of us that listen to this that hate Bill Johnson for some reason. (laughs) But, like, the reason we get so frustrated when we talk about racism and the reason we get so frustrated when we talk about someone being murdered based on the color of their skin is, is because of the fact that it is evil and because when we have to face that, we're facing a battle in our lives um, that like, it's, that's it's not easy. It's not like, you know, I mean, let's be honest guys, like to God, all sin is the same, but when we're here on earth and we're standing on the face of the earth, like we have to look at these things and say, like, like Josh was saying, like we haven't had to, as white Americans, we have not had to face this issue our entire life. And so like, man, like I want to join with, my black brothers and sisters in this battle not simply just because of the fact that it's the right thing to do but because like sort of like you just put Josh like it's tiring it's so absolutely exhausting to fight this battle and they've been doing it their entire life and like if if we're exhausted after only 2 weeks 3 weeks of this of pushing for this like you know what that means that means that this battle is hard. And that means that Satan wants this battle to be difficult. And when we are fighting against pure evil, guys, like, if I'm I'm sorry. It's not enough to pray. It's not enough to pray about it and hope that it gets better. And I have a feeling that, as you know, to kind of to close our episode, as we're going to segue into some of these things that we're talking about here, I have a feeling, I don't know for sure, I haven't heard people say it directly, but there's going to be a lot of Christians out there that feel like the thing we need to do right now is pray. But that's all you're going to do. And once you pray, you're going to say, all right, man, I've really, you might even pray and cry. You might even watch the news and pray again. You might even go to a prayer meeting where you pray for an hour with your pastors or your other members of your church and you break, you know, the social distancing rules and hug people through tears because, you know, you might even invite a black person or two into that. And you you say, well, we've got a couple here. And so that'll be great. You know, we'll just invite them along and they can kind of talk and we can hear what they have to say. And then we can pray for 30 minutes, hug, you know, we can do it through tears and we can leave and we can feel like, man, we really are doing something about this. But I will challenge you that you're not when you do that. Prayer is a part of it, but it's not where it stops. Martin Martin Luther's least favorite book of the Bible is James. And it's because he was fighting so hard against the idea of works. But James says faith without works is dead. And I think that is very true right now. Our faith, our prayers are needed because, guys, God can do anything. There's no doubt about it. But the fact is, is that if we just pray and that's it, and we think that's going to solve it, we aren't moving from one place to the next. We're not taking one step to the next step. Um, Here's that Bill Johnson quote. Racism is evil. It is demonic to its core. To treat people with dishonor because of their skin color is absolute foolishness. To turn that dishonor into violence is barbaric and inhuman. In Christ, we have the privilege and responsibility to oppose racism in all its forms and stand with those who have suffered under its weight. And so think about that. In Christ, we have the privilege, okay? It doesn't say as a white person you have the privilege, but in Christ, we have the privilege to stand. And we we also have the responsibility. It's our responsibility as Christians to oppose racism in all its forms. And that is, when, when you say all its forms, that's not when the extreme thing happens and a, a black person gets murdered. And we say, well, we're against that. Because you know what, it's easy to be against that. It's super easy to be against a black person being murdered because they got murdered. But is it, is it easy to be against it because it was racist? Everyone looks, well, how do you know race was a part of it? You know, you don't know that, right? stop, just stop. Um, and I mentioned this before, and then I'm going to get into some of the examples, and then we'll probably have to end because I know we've gone a long time. But our episodes have been getting longer, Josh. Maybe we could be like the liturgists and have like two-hour-long podcasts. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but uh, if you're sitting out there and you were saying, I, I just hate being shamed into feeling like I need to be upset about this. If you feel like you have an option, then you need to be shamed into being upset about this because none of us should have the option of being upset about this because if we are white, we've had the option for so long. And that's where the problem has been. If you are a black person, you don't have the option of being black or white. You don't have the, whether you've, whether you've done this or done that, lived in this city or lived in that area of the, of the country, whether you've moved to the white part of the city so that you can be out of the, out of the quote unquote hood, or whether you've lived in the black area of the country, you know, or of that city or whatever, like they don't have an option. Their skin color is who they are. That's who God made them to be, like Josh was talking about. So I'm honest with you when I say, and if I could look you in the face, I would look you in the face and say, as a white person, you do not have an option anymore to stand by the side and allow these things to continue to happen. You just don't have the option. Um, So take that to heart, honestly. Like, and realize it's not about being shamed into it. Because you know what shame comes from? Guilt. Shame comes from conviction. Don't shame me into that. Well, you're probably feeling that way because you're convicted that you should do something about this. You're probably feeling shame because you've been convicted because you felt certain ways that you shouldn't be. And guys, shame and, well, I'll say it this way. Conviction is the Holy Spirit working on you conviction is working is the holy spirit getting into you and working on those things that you need to be moved from into so keep that in mind when you say you're feeling shamed into being a part of this discussion because you should be a part of this discussion um so uh josh here's one of the here's one of the stories i've seen um and then um what i what i'd be interested in is for maybe you to play devil's advocate on it and we can kind of see where it goes. Um, so uh, the prodigal son leaves his home because he wants his inheritance and he doesn't want to stay home anymore. So he goes off and he takes the money his dad gave him. He goes off and he squanders it on on living um, however he wants. Um, and then he gets to the point where he doesn't have the money anymore. The money's gone. He's used it all up. And uh, he winds up needing to live in a, you know, move in with a pig panties, eating food from like the same as the pigs. And he says, you know what, even my, even my, my father's servants have it better than this. What I need to do and the scripture says, he comes to his senses and he says, I need to go home. I need to go to my house and be with my dad. And, you know, I, I can just imagine being this dad, you know, in 2020, I'm a father of four. And so I can imagine one of my sons deciding to leave. And I can imagine, you know, every day wondering, is today the day my son's going to come home? Is today the day he's going to be back? And going to bed that night? No, today wasn't the day. And so, but so I'm ready. I'm waiting. I'm hopeful that my son will come home. And finally, my son comes over the horizon one day and I see him walking. And uh, I'm holding a sign that says, prodigal sons matter because I'm so happy that my son has come home. And so I tell the servant, I said, Hey, let's butcher, let's butcher the, the, the fattened calf. And let's, let's throw a party because my son was gone, but now he's home. He's was lost, but now he's found and the prodigal son matters. And then my other son has been working. He comes home. says, dad, why are we having this big old party? And I say, well, it's because my son just, your brother, he just, he just returned home. And we're so grateful that he's returned home. And oh my gosh, this is just, the, this is so great. Isn't this great that he returned home? And the, the, the older son says, well, dad, I've been here the whole time. You never threw a party for me. Dad, don't I matter? Doesn't my life matter to you? And I say, of course, your life matters to me. But we're celebrating that my other son has returned home after he's been gone. And he was living a life away from his father. And he's returned to that home life with his father. And we're celebrating the fact that he's returned home, not the fact that he's more important than you. And I think that's a beautiful scriptural understanding of the concept of black lives matter and all lives matter does the does the son does the older son's life matter who stayed home of course it does no one's saying it doesn't but in this moment we're so thankful that this other son returned home that we want to celebrate that and i think in some ways i see that being a a, a metaphor and I've seen it used on social media um, to explain the difference between Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. And Josh and I talked about this before the episode and we have some thoughts on the goodness and the, and the badness, if that's a word, of this metaphor. So Josh?
0: Yeah, so I think, I think what's good about the metaphor is the interaction that happens between the father and the son who stayed home. That's, that's where this idea makes the most sense to me. Like, you know, he's like, I, you know, the father's like, I've always loved you. I've always given you everything that I had, blah, blah, blah. So yes, of course I still love you, but also my son, you know, your, your your brother has returned. Um, that, that exchange between them I think is what's good. The, the heart behind that is, is great. The problem (laughs) that I, I would see with, with trying to use this metaphor, um, is that very quickly? Uh, I think because of the nature of what the story is, um, it 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 would not be good because basically uh, it would be like, oh, so okay, so you're saying what you're saying is that the that black people are bad, that they run away, they they squander wealth and uh, they you know do all these kind of things, and then um, once they once they come back to their senses and behave in an appropriate manner and return, then we can celebrate them. So that is, I think a perfect example of assimilation type racism, like that's very assimilationist rhetoric. Um, And so even if that isn't the intent behind what is being said, um, oftentimes intent doesn't really seem to matter depending on who you're talking to because it still comes off a certain kind of way. So, I would, be, I would be extraordinarily hesitant, like ridiculously hesitant <laughs> to try to put that story forth as a uh, helpful way to look at it because it, it, it paints um, people of color uh, in a negative light and then says, oh, since like they were bad, but now they're good. They were lost, but now they're found. Um, that just, that doesn't fly with me. So I would, I personally would not use that, that story.
1: All right. Well, thanks. Because I think it's helpful to talk through those kinds of things. And, um, there's one more Josh that we, we kind of worked about, we kind of talked about and I'm sure there's others. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, there's two others, but, but I think for the sake of time, we'll just talk about one other one. Okay. Um, and the other one is, um, the story, um, where there's a lost sheep, And Jesus tells this parable of um, leaving the 99 sheep to go and rescue the one. And all the 99 sheep are hold. There's like a meme that's been going around on Facebook. So there's 99 sheep holding up a sign that say all sheep matter. (laughs) but Jesus is going to rescue the one that's like over the side of a cliff. And, um, you know, so of course, we're in this position where you say like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't leave the 99, but Jesus teaches us like, oh no, like, you know, you go and you rescue the one sheep because that's the sheep that's in danger. The other are not in danger. And so we need to go and take care of that sheep. And so um, I realize that I'm summing that up. i not, <laughs> like, I'm not telling the story. I'm not reading the scriptures directly and i'm and i'm kind of summing up the idea here because it's a meme that i've seen going around which i think again i think i think there's helpful aspects of that meme and that concept of leaving the 99 behind to rescue the one uh, but josh what what would you say is sort of the uh the negative the, the negative aspect of this
0: yeah i so i would preface it first by saying that i think that's actually the most helpful one that i have seen the the most helpful biblical story i don't i don't really have much of an issue with it um, specifically because it just demonstrates you know so nicely um, that jesus is still the shepherd of of all a hundred sheep in the story but one of them is in trouble and so jesus goes to help that one that is in trouble um and it's it's not saying that he doesn't love the other 99 sheep in his herd he's just wow this one is in trouble right now you know we, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think this story, the, the biblical text says, you know, the sheep rejected the 99 and peaced out. Like, it doesn't say yeah. that. So, like, we don't know what happened. Maybe, like, a, a, a lion or a bear or something came after the sheep and he ran away. You know, we don't know why the sheep could be in trouble. So, But Jesus is, is going after that sheep because that sheep is in danger currently. And that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love the rest of the sheep. It, it just means that this one is is in danger and so Jesus is going to act accordingly and here's the here's the crazy thing if one of those other sheep in the 99 they got into trouble they were in danger then guess what Jesus would go after that one too and so i think this is actually the most helpful one that's out there i mean i guess people could be like oh are you saying like uh you know i i could see two issues one are you saying like black people are sheep like it's a metaphor come on um so i think that could be a concern but also I think the the white savior complex could kick in here. We'd have to be extraordinarily careful who we identify with in this story. If we think that we are Jesus,
1: mm-hmm. we
0: are are the white savior going to help out these these poor people of color? Um, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Uh, I think <laughs> more so. Maybe if 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 we could put it this way. Um, perhaps a a way to make the story better would be Jesus, you know, goes to help that one. And then some of the other sheep, some of the other 99 um, like maybe accompany Jesus. I don't know to do that, to work together. Um, So Jesus is, is, you know, savior or something like that. And I don't know. I don't know that, that one breaks down too, but I think that one would be the best. Like I, that one makes the most sense. And I think that would click with people.
1: Well, I think there's also the historical aspect of, um black black people being referred to as animals or oh, monkeys yeah. or that kind of thing for sure, and i think the I think the animal aspect of it could be problematic, and i could I could see that being a problem for some people, you know, well, wait a minute, are you using this metaphor where you know this the 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 lost one is miss is, is an animal and uh, you know and but like obviously miss like missing the idea that like they 're all animals except for the shepherd. <laughs> Um, but also the fact that like a sheep is white. And so like, there's, there's this, kind of, so, but here's, here's I think where all of these metaphors, I think these metaphors are helpful for a certain reason. And I think they're degrading and not, not helpful for different reasons. I think they're helpful because of the fact that, um, as we were talking about at the beginning of this episode, the Barna Group thing talks about evangelicals um, not necessarily being very supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement. But evangelicals are also those that that take their Bible and they say, this is the most important thing in the world to me. Anything that's in here is, you know, is, I guess, you know, pun intended, the gospel. And like, this is like, I live my life based off of everything that's inside this book and nothing that's outside this book affects my life in any way, shape or form. And so I think by by putting a biblical narrative on this concept of racism and the concept of Hey, here are these stories that Jesus talks about. I mean, the woman at the well is another great one. Um, You know Mm -hmm. that people have been using recently to to point out, like, you know, Jesus broke down those racial barriers and didn't live within the confines. Jesus didn't just stay in Jerusalem the whole time. He didn't just stay in Israel and surround himself with other people that were just like him. He got into the muck and the mire with everybody. No matter who that person was, whether they were a rich, wealthy, uh, you know, so 2020 revelation, whether they were a rich, wealthy oil guy in America, a white Texan, or whether they were somebody in the, the downtown south side of Chicago, living in the midst of the, like some of the most dangerous streets in our, in our country. Jesus would have banned all things to all those people. In any every way, shape, or form, and so I think like the good side is if you want to reach these people that are in your life that Scripture is everything to them. Well, the one of the ways to do that is to use some of these scriptural metaphors with them and say, "Hey, like do you, do you see Jesus doing this? How do you see that connecting to what's going on right now?" Um, I think that I think that the negative aspect of that though is be careful, as Josh was saying, because. We live in a culture <clears throat> where, unfortunately, guys, I'm going to speak to the concept of progressivism, and we have a lot of people that would call themselves progressive that listen to our podcast. Although Josh had an instance a couple of weeks ago where someone said that uh, if if they want a conservative viewpoint on something, they'll come listen to our podcast.
0: <laughs> that person's probably listening right now. Yeah, I. Which-
1: that's yeah. just hilarious to me because, like, to me, this is, like, this is not a very conservative podcast, <laughs> but maybe it is, or, or maybe they were being tongue-in-cheek. Either way, um, I think, speaking to progressives, I think we, we have a tendency often to – oh, my gosh, those are my children acting like banshees um, – we, we have a tendency in our, in our culture of progressivism to look for a way to argue away everything that we come across. So you see somebody using a metaphor and instead of reading the metaphor and like giving the benefit of the doubt, like, you know, so like the first one I used, the prodigal son thing, you know, we have this tendency to say, well, wait a minute, are you you trying to say that black people don't use money properly and they squandered their wealth and then they had to live with pigs. Is that what you're, t- and like, we get all worked up and like, we, we, we forget to recognize, wait a minute, that's not what this person is trying to say at all. And I think sometimes we look for that. Now, I'm not saying that's just progressives because it's not, it's, it's conservatives as well. Everybody does that. But I think what we can do is we can, instead of looking for ways to disprove and discredit someone's argument so that our argument is heard louder, I think guys, let's give each, the benefit of the doubt with these kinds of things you come across something and you read something and you get the heart behind it you know get like be on board and, and, and support something like that if you don't get it or you don't understand what they're trying to say you know there's this crazy concept that i'm teaching my children ask a question ask hey what can i can i ask what what are you trying to get at by posting this and you don't have to do it publicly if you don't want to shame the person or if it's like your grandma and your grandma posts something that you're kind of like, wait a minute, like, grandma, what are you posting this for? You don't have to be like, grandma, what the heck is your problem? You can say, hey, I just was curious what you were posting that about and have a conversation with them. Now, you might find that they posted that thing and your, your assumptions were correct that they were posting in a way to like kind of, you know, jab at somebody or, you know, they were posting in a way, in some inherent way, it was racist, that could be true. But you could also find that the heart behind the post was real, and then you can say, well, Grandma, here's where where that really doesn't work, you know, and like, let let me explain to you, let me explain to you why saying that, well, God made us all the same on the inside, so, you know, I don't see color on anyone's skin. Like, okay, you know why your grandma is saying that. Your grandma is eager for equality to be something that is brought to the mix. Your grandma is eager for what God created us to be, to be brought out into the light. She's missing the concept that Black culture is important to Black people, and that the color of their skin is not something that they're ashamed of, but instead that they're proud of. And so she's missing that aspect of it. And she needs to be educated on that and taught that and worked with. But grandma doesn't need to be shamed and yelled at and and treated like an idiot because she posted something and missed the point. So if you see what I'm saying, we need to give each other benefit of the doubt these days because, guys, as Christians, like, as our good friend Bill Johnson said, like, we have an opportunity, but we have a responsibility to combat racism in all its forms. And so that doesn't mean that we're fighting with everybody. That means we're teaching people. That means we're working alongside. But like Josh said earlier, that means when we get involved with something like an organization, like color of change, or we get involved with an organization like be the bridge, or we get involved in an organization like black lives matter. We don't stand up at the front and say, Hey, I want to say something. Uh, And in in my group, I'm a leader. And uh, Hey, and I, I, Uh, guys, I'm I'm a podcast co-host and I've done a few episodes on racism. So I want to say something. No, that means you sit in the back or in the middle and you listen and you allow so much of their culture and their history from their perspective to permeate into who you are and you learn about these people and you just go with the flow. You do it their way. You listen to them because you know what? For a long time, Black culture hasn't been listened to by white people. White people have pushed their narrative on blacks, as Josh was talking about. I'm telling you, you can go to places in Africa, I'm telling you, it's not everywhere, but you will find a lot of churches that on the outside, maybe they look like, like the building of that, from that, in that, that region. But you go inside, they've got drums and they've got electric guitars and they've got keyboards. And they've got a soundboard in the back of the room with a special box built around it that only the sound guy is allowed to go inside. And they've got special chairs and they've got a cross hanging up in the corner, but it's kind of edgy because it's kind of like, you know, like it's kind of like a cool looking cross. It's not like, you know, it's clear if someone brought it there or someone made it in their own garage and like, oh man, like that's hip. And like, you start to recognize, oh, wait a minute, they're singing, you know, Chris Tomlin. They're singing Hillsong, but they're not like they've been taught that this is what church is. But then you can also go to places in Africa and you can find churches that are doing things their way. They're doing their culture. They're doing the way that they are that they have been brought up. And there are countless places in Africa, and countless places in Mexico, and countless places in South America. They're doing church the way that their culture would would work. And they are doing things in a way it's not white America. It's brown or black America. It's not that either. It's brown or black. It's who they are. It's their culture. Um I've mentioned this book before. There's a book called It's oh, Man, I wish I had it in front of me. It's an ethnodoxology of worship in our world. And it goes around all these different places around the world that talks about how, you know, in Thailand there are churches that are doing Christian worship in a way that is culturally Thai and that's it. Or there are, there are people from Ecuador that are doing worship services that are culturally Ecuadorian and apply, you know, Russian and, you know, Polish and every culture. But guys, like we are in this place in our country where now is the time we can, we can like, we can start seeing things for the way they are and we can get on board, but we don't, need to lead these things like josh was saying and so we can take a lead in the place of helping our other white friends understand where they are missing the boat why the boat has passed them by so many times and they've not got on with everybody else we can we can see it okay we we can work those people into the into the conversation and that takes massaging that takes time that takes effort That takes a try and try and try again mentality. It's not going to be a one and done kind of thing. But we have all of us white friends who don't see this the way that they, that we are seeing it. Unfortunately, we have a lot of white friends that they're going to watch Tucker time tonight on Fox news. And they're going to hear a one-sided view of this. And they're going to see terrible things like just, police cars on fire and buildings destroyed. And they're going to make a mental connection to that's what black people do when a black person gets murdered. But they're going to miss the point that that's not what this is about. And we got to take this all the way back and say, why did these protests and riots start in the first place? It's not only because george floyd was killed but that's what started it that's what got people up on their. because don't forget a month ago ahmaud arbery was killed he wasn't killed by a police officer but he was killed by two white people that thought they were doing their duty and don't forget about all the other names of people that were killed by a white person or they were killed by somebody else in some sort of racial understanding when trayvon martin was killed he wasn't killed by a white person He was killed by a Hispanic person who was going after somebody. And so now you want to talk about who should have been more afraid in that scenario, George Zimmerman or Trayvon Martin? Trayvon Martin was the one being preyed upon, not the other way around. So, guys, this is not about George Floyd only. This is about the fact that this continues to happen in 2020, and it shouldn't continue to be happening at all. So, your white friends, that watch Tucker time, your white friends that, you know, follow Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro on Facebook, your white friends that, um, you know, say, well, I mean, come on, racism isn't really a problem anymore. It's 2020. Your white friends who uh, don't want to talk about it. Oh no, I, I just didn't get involved this time. Um, I, I, I deleted my Facebook app because it's just, oh, everything's so negative all the time right now. Uh, you know, being on Facebook and Twitter is so toxic right now. I just deleted the app off my phone. I'm staying out of this one. You know what? Those are the people that you need to be on board with. And you need to ask yourself, do I want to say goodbye to my black friends because they were murdered? Or do I want to say goodbye to my white friends because they refuse to see that there's a problem that they can speak up about? Who like who do I want to choose between? <laughs> And if you can't, if that's uncomfortable for you to say, well, I don't, uh, I don't really want to say goodbye to either of my friends. Well, then you know what? Start having conversations with your white friends. Because no conversation with your black friend is going to stop him from being murdered by somebody else who sees him as a black person that they need to kill. But having a conversation with your white friend can help them start to see what they can do to start changing the narrative. And this is not changing the narrative because once you tell one person, racism is going to go away. Us speaking to other people helps racism go away. Us not speaking to anyone allows racism to exist in the same forms it's been existing in for the past 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And we gotta start hitting that in the places we can in our community. Drew Hart talked about that. You know, if you live in an all white neighborhood, you are on the front lines. (laughs) You're the person, like you live exactly where you need to be. Oh, I don't live in a black neighborhood. Good go out there and start talking to the people that you live around. You have a, your neighbors, or if your neighbor's your buddy, talk to your neighbor about this. If your neighbor's like, yeah, I just don't want to talk about racism, be like, well, we need to talk about racism. We have to talk about it. We got to make it, these. this conversation needs to continue happening and be the forefront of every conversation until it is no longer a problem. That's my opinion, anyway.
0: Yeah, I think I'll just say a couple of couple things. Um, to close us out here. I think Marty is right. Um, We can't sit on the sidelines because sitting on the sidelines is complicit, is complicitness. And you can say, oh, I'm not a racist, but I'm just going to sit here on the sidelines. Well, it's not enough to say I'm not a racist. You have to be an Mm anti-racist. And Austin Channing Brown, uh, she posted something today. uh, This, this cool little like, um, like typographical Graphic thing on Instagram that says anti racism requires action. It's a choice to pursue racial justice. And then she commented on it saying anti racism isn't a position of neutrality. It isn't achieved by being silent or apolitical. It isn't a default like, well, I'm not a racist, so I must be anti racist. Nope. You have to opt into the fight for freedom. So we have to be an anti racist. It's not enough to say, that we're not racist. We have to actively pursue the the afterly. Ap- goodness gracious! Actively go after the systems of oppression in our country and break them down. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, we need to have humility in doing this um, because the truth is, even once you've like I've read a couple books. Okay, I've I've read a couple books. I've had conversations with my black friends. Whatever. And I know more now than I did before I did those things, but I still don't know everything. I don't know the whole story. And yeah. so we can't be assholes <laughs> to our white friends because that's not going to help either. We have to do this out of love and humility and respect, but we have to be firm and we can't back away from the truth. But also realize that you don't have it all figured out yet. And yeah. also realize that as a white person, you will never, ever, ever be able to fully understand what it's like to be a black person in this country. It's just not going to happen. And so we have to, have to, have to have humility. We have to shut up. We have to listen. We have to learn. We have to continue listening, continue learning. If you say something with a good intent and uh, you have somebody like a, a person of color say, Hey, that's not cool. Don't argue with them. Ask them. Oh, why? I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, why why is that not right? Or maybe that that might not even be the best question in the moment to ask, why not right? It might just be best to say, you're right, I apologize. And then your job is to then go do homework and figure out why what you said isn't great. Yeah. Um, So I just, I wanted to push on humility and I wanted to to make it a a point that um, being quiet is is not an option. You're either anti-racist or you're a racist. (laughs) Being Being quiet, sitting in a system complicit, benefiting from things like white privilege or whatever, that you're a racist. Anti-racism is the only, the only way that's not. And so, um, and just real quick, for those of you who are like, white privilege is not a thing. I'm gonna prove it to you right now. And if you can't see it in this this comment, then uh, good Lord, I don't, I don't know what else to say to you. Marty and I, as white men, can walk away from this conversation of racial reconciliation, of Black Lives Matter, all that kind of stuff. We can walk away from it, forget about it, and continue on with our daily lives. And it is not going to have a negative effect on us. It won't. We have that, we have that ability. We can walk away and ignore this conversation. Our black brothers and sisters, our people, our friends, our, our brothers and sisters of, of color, don't have that option. They can't turn this conversation off because this isn't just a conversation to them, it's their everyday life. This is life or death. It's not a nice conversation that you can have and feel quote woke about with your your friends and then pat yourself on the back. It's their life. That is white privilege. Yeah. So well, and
1: have. this one. I just want to say one one more quick thing. I mean, we like Josh, you and I could talk about this for years. We can, <laughs> we, we could make this. I, a,
0: I really have to pee, Marty.
1: <laughs> we could make this a like a. We could turn this podcast into you know rethinking faith, race wars, <laughs> and like and literally go against racism in full for the rest of our lives and still not be done talking about it. Absolutely. Um, you know, but I I think there's an important aspect of things that I don't want us to miss on. Because, you know, here's the thing that ultimately, Josh, you and I have more in common of the fact that we are brothers of Christ than we have because we're, you know, just two guys. You know, like you, you have things that you're interested in that I'm not interested in, and vice versa. And the things that we hold in common aren't necessarily always going to be the same. Um, But you know, here's the thing. As followers of Christ, I think that we have a tendency to, dis, you know, to want to see, you know, oh, well, all, all we need to do is just be peaceful about this because that's what Jesus would have done. And it, I think we have evidence in, in Scripture of seeing that Jesus did speak about concepts of this, of oppression. Like he spoke out against oppression, like when he was on the, during the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, and he gave all these Beatitudes talking about, you know, blessed are the meek. You know, he didn't say, you know, blessed are the ones that have the seat and power. And Jesus didn't say, blessed is Caesar. And uh, blessed are the Pharisees. And, you know, he didn't say that. He was talking about those that were on the outside looking in of what the system would have assumed was the way or like the entrance into heaven. And um, I think what we have to see is that Jesus didn't sit back idly by, allowing the system that was existing in their world to continue to exist. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the first place he went was into the temple, and he saw the way that they had been desecrating the temple in their way of doing things. Now, that wasn't a racism thing. I get it. But it was a, this is not right. I'm going to tell you why this isn't right but he didn't just walk in and say oh everybody um if you could please just if you, if you guys could sell those uh pigeons for a sacrifice in a fair way that'd be awesome uh money changers could you guys just do it exactly you know one for one you know could could you not try to make a penny off of that like he didn't do that he walked in there and he said this is done. And it's less to me, it's less about the violence than it is about the, the overturning of things. It's about this is the top of the table. I'm flipping them over. I'm telling you, this has to be the opposite of, what you're, of how you're seeing this. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, there weren't tens of thousands of people that were rioting and destroying the city of Jerusalem, they were afraid for their life. They were hiding in in case they were gonna be crucified. But here's the deal. They saw that his death meant something. And they didn't decide that they were gonna destroy the crap out of their town. What they said was, I think they were struck by the total violence in which this person who had been so world-changing had, I I think they were struck by that. And, And I think, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that as followers of Christ, we are unified in the, in the concept of Jesus, but I don't think we need to say what would Jesus do as we, we wear the bracelet, well, what, what, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Oh, Jesus would just go and he would go into his room and he would shut the door and he would go in the closet. He would shut the door into, you know, into his prayer chamber or whatever, whatever your war room, like that Christian movie a few years ago. Oh, Jesus would go into his war room and he would pray. But he wouldn't say anything. He wouldn't do anything. He would just stay there. No, Jesus was a man of action. Jesus was a man of... Getting into it with people and getting involved with those who were hurting, getting involved with those that were oppressed. Jesus specifically walked through Samaria on purpose. He didn't need to. And in fact, it wasn't the norm to, for people to go through Samaria, but he did anyway because he knew that there were people that needed him just as much. And so, guys, my opinion is we need to be all things to all people. We need to in all of this stuff that we're doing all whether it's whether you are the bare doing the bare minimum and making yourself aware and you're posting things on Facebook or whether you're going out to these protests or whether you're writing letters to your congress whether you are on the far extreme side you know trying to get your police force abolished in your city or whatever you know i don't know where you fall in any of those things but wherever you are you need to see that the way of jesus is getting into is is putting your faith into action. The way of Jesus is saying, "I'm standing up for this, and I'm not just going to sit at home and do nothing." Like Josh was saying, "I'm not just going to say nothing." I'm I, when someone makes a racist joke or a racist comment, I'm not going to sit there and allow it to happen. I'm at a party at someone's house, and they make a joke. Oh, no, dude, don't don't talk like that. We don't that's, seriously, dude, that's not cool. And if you have to get up and leave, then so be it. If you have to make a stand, then so be it. But here's the deal. Jesus was a man of action. And he lived out who he said he was. He didn't say he was one thing and then kind of back away from it when it came time. He didn't say, you know, oh, you know, <laughs> you know I- I'm, I- I've come so that all could know the way of my father in heaven and then walk, away, walk, walk around Samaria so that he didn't have to talk to Samaritans. He, he could have done that. He could have walked around and nobody would have faulted him for it. It wouldn't have been written down in scripture that they didn't walk, that that they walked around Samaria on purpose. It just wouldn't have been put in there. So like we have to get to this place as Christ followers that we say we are for the way of Jesus and the way of Jesus is standing up for the things that are wrong, but also saying, Hey, you know what? This is the way society has been for so long. And that's not right. Society has been changing the money in the temple in an unfair way for years and that's not right. Society has been looking down on the Samaritans and other people that aren't Jews for years and that's not right. Society has been lynching black people and inviting out entire white communities to be a part of it and take a photo and smiling in the photo and that's not right. Society has been hiring black people at a significantly lower number than white people and that's not right. Society has been disallowing black people from eating in their establishments and saying this is the colored side of the restaurant and this is the white side of the restaurant and that's not right. and never has been and society has been disproportionately imprisoning the black community and killing the black community over the white community. And just, if you want proof, look at the way that someone like Dylan Roof was arrested and put into prison after shooting up the black church as like a vigilante for the alt-right movement. And look at the way George Floyd was handled for allegedly using a, a, a counterfeit $20 bill. Look at the way that, you know, the, the shooter of the, uh, in Aurora, Colorado was handled. And then look at the way that Ahmaud Arbery was handled. And Ahmaud Arbery hadn't done anything wrong. You wanna talk about that not being right? That's not right. Philando Castile, was murdered in his car with his daughter in the backseat and his wife in the passenger seat for reaching for his wallet. That's not right. So I'm sorry if you can't read these things and hear about these things and see these videos. We have the videos these aren't just like someone telling us this story from decades ago You know, like, Oh, this person was killed because of the color of their skin. They did this sit in and they got beat up at a restaurant in, in, you know, in Jackson, Mississippi or Montgomery, Alabama, they did a sit in at some, you know, some, Woolworth store or something like that. And they sat in at the sandwich counter and no one would serve them. And the white people started, you know, squeezing mustard on their head and punching them and dragging them out into the streets. And the police dogs were attacking them. And, oh man, that really isn't right. No, no, no. We have these videos of these people. We have the video of Philando Castile being murdered. We have the video of Ahmad Arbery being murdered. We have the video of George Floyd being murdered. We have it on video. We can watch it. Not a single person can stand there and say, oh yeah, he must have had it coming. He must have deserved it. If you don't watch those videos and say, that's not right, there's something not right with you. And you need to start looking into these countless authors that are out there that have written books about Black America and white privilege. You, you need to start watching some of these documentaries like The 13th or you know, watching you know, Any of these other movies that are on uh, Netflix And YouTube uh, Just Mercy is out there That's a great one to watch because it's a true story But all that being said Guys, as a Christian You have a responsibility To stand up for things that are not right And to stand against evil And if any of this to you Doesn't sound or look like evil That's not right Then you know it so I hate to end our, our episode on such a negative light. Um, if you want to look at it that way, <clears throat> but you know what? I want you over these next week over this next week to start looking into the things that, you know, in your life that exist. I want you to find that that's not right for you. What things do you participate in? And what things are you a part of that aren't right? And, what can you do to change those things about you and about your family and about your friends? So that's my, my final thought.
0: Sweet. Well, thanks dude. Well how about since we've been going for like eight and a half hours and I have to piss real bad um, and we could continue this conversation and this, I mean, honestly we've scratched the surface. Yeah. Um, And so thank you listeners for hanging out, but instead of signing off with go caps today, uh, I'm going to do a different sign off Marty and you can do whatever sign off you want to do. I'm going to sign off by saying Black Lives Matter.
1: Black Lives Matter.